So we're, we're, we're um, in the middle of a, uh, a series on the Holy Spirit and talking about the Holy Spirit and, and the impact of the Holy Spirit in our life and who the Holy Spirit is, all this kind of stuff. And we've been discussing all of these um, over the past two weeks, looking at um, you know, a lot of this kind of stuff because you know, the Holy Spirit is probably um, one of the most misunderstood elements of the church, especially in our current situation, our current world here today. I mean, we have, we have churches that, that even in our culture today, and I just personally don't understand it, but we have, we have churches in our culture today that, that, that do not want the Holy Spirit to move in their service because they feel like that it can create confusion and stuff in the, in the services. So they, it's actually a part of their ministry philosophy that they don't want the Holy Spirit, you know, and like, so like if you have a real negative connotation and idea about who the Holy Spirit is and, and what he does, then for you, you'd be like, well, okay, that, that kind of makes sense. But when you think about it from the standpoint, it's like, it's the Holy Spirit, <laughs> The third person, of the, it's like the promised one that Jesus said was going to help us, right? And yet we, as a church, can get to where we're like, okay, the Father, oh, I love the Father. And Jesus died for my sins, and oh, I love Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, well, he's kind of, he's the crazy one. We just want to just leave the Holy Spirit right over here a little bit, okay? And so, um, and so I really felt led... Um, you know, as we were coming into this new year to really dive in and to talk about this in, in great detail, because um, it, it's not like even in even in those particular circles, it's not like they reject the idea of the Holy Spirit. It's just that they reject certain aspects or certain thoughts about the Holy Spirit. We really haven't even gotten into all that kind of stuff yet anyways, because there's really two different um, there's two different experiences that we have with the Holy Spirit that we see throughout Scripture. One is His infilling presence, and the other, um, or indwelling presence, and the other his, is His infilling power. All right, and so um, we're gonna we're gonna look we're gonna we're gonna go to Galatians chapter five here in a second. After I I tell you a story, <clears throat> I tell you a story about a. This old preacher man, right? This old preacher man. Just, you know, God's been around a long time. He's kind of an old preacher man, you know. One day he's out doing what good people do and he was fishing. And uh, he was fishing one afternoon when he heard a noise beside him. And he looked down and he saw a frog sitting next to him. And the frog looked up and said to him, Hey, buddy. I've had a spell cast on me, and if you'll kiss me, I'll turn into a beautiful princess, and I'll make you happy the rest of your life. The old preacher man smiled at the frog. He picked up the frog and put it in its pocket. A little later, um, he looked into his pocket to see how the frog was doing, and the frog said to him again, this time with a little bit of exasperation, buddy. I've had a spell cast on me, and if you'll kiss me, I'll turn into a beautiful princess, and I'll make you happy for the rest of your life. The old preacher man just smiled and kept on fishing. A little later, he checked on the frog again, and this time, the frog, a little bit more aggravated than the first two times, says, what's wrong with you, dude? 
Listen, I've said I've been bewitched. Just kiss me and I'll turn it back into a beautiful princess and make you the happiest man on earth for the rest of your life. The old preacher man just smiled at the frog and he said, Frog, I hate to tell you this, but at my age, I'd rather have a talking frog than a beautiful princess. Uh, Anyways, so that has no spiritual impact whatsoever other than to make you laugh. And laughter does good like medicine, right? There you go. So it's okay to laugh. All right, so we've been talking about the Holy Spirit over the past couple weeks in particular. Um, The first week we were talking about how the Bible says that he is our guide. The Holy Spirit is is here to to guide us. In other words, the scripture says those who are led by the Spirit of God or the sons of God. So in other words, when God wants to lead us, he does it by his Holy Spirit who resides within us. His indwelling presence is in us and that inner voice that's within us. God leads us and guides us by his spirit. So we aren't guided by fleeces anymore. God, if you love me, if you want to go across the ocean to feed the hungry, if you want to go on the mission field, God, if you want me to do this, then you'll do this. That's, that's old covenant way of communicating with God. You see, God's now placed his spirit inside of us and his spirit's supposed to testify within us what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live, where we're supposed to go. So when you talk about like all the areas of your life that Bible is not specific about, for example, like if, am I supposed to get this new job? Am I supposed to move over here? Am I supposed to do this? Whatever. If the Bible doesn't specifically say, then that's where the Holy Spirit guides us in our life, right? But the Holy Spirit will never guide you to do something that contradicts what the Scripture says because the Holy Spirit brings back to remembrance what Jesus spoke to us, right? And then last week we were talking about who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is this Holy Spirit? And one of the things that we see throughout the Scripture is that Jesus says, I'm going to send you the promised one. And he says, I'm going to send you another one. And this word another in the Greek actually means... Um, it's it's uh, another of the same kind. In other words, it's going to be it's going to be the same thing. It's just different, all right. And even in um, uh, we see in in John it says the this um, this comforter or uh, advocate that the Holy Spirit is, it comes from the word Parakletos, and we talked about this last week. And I tell you from my sermon last week, I learned two things about people that listen to my sermon. All right. Um, I had two people come up to me after the service last week. We were talking about the Holy Spirit, and and the the biblical description is this this Greek word parakletos. All right, is that somebody came to me and said, you know what I learned? I learned that the Holy Spirit's not a dove; he is a parakeet. The other thing, I had another person come and he was like, no, 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 the Holy Spirit is not a parakeet. He is a pair of cleats. <clears throat> He's a pair of shoes. He's a pair of cleats. Um, and so I just, I sometimes, I just scratch my head. And I'm like, dear Lord, save me from this. I'm just, just kidding. All right. So yes, uh, the Greek word is parakletos. And uh, parakletos is a word that is used to describe someone who comes alongside you or is, uh, is an advocate like, like a lawyer is. Like a lawyer can go into a courthouse and, and a, a, um, in front of the judge and he can defend you 
with the legal terminology that's there, the Holy Spirit becomes our advocate before the Lord. And not only that, and I talked about it last week, that, that, that actually a, a perfect analogy is if like you, you get somebody here and the Holy Spirit puts his arm around you and says, all right, let's go. This is how we're going to go today. This is how we're going to walk today. So the Holy Spirit like puts his arm around you and says, all right, we're, it's, it's uh, Paracletos is one who has called alongside you. So the Holy Spirit is called to, to walk alongside you and to help you. And so that's what the Holy Spirit becomes. He becomes our, our helper, our advocate, our, um, it, the, uh, and every day of our life. So when we wake up, we can recognize the fact that the Holy Spirit is supposed to be with us throughout the day, helping us, being our advocate, working with us, and guiding us in everything that we do. All right? That's how, that's how he works. And so, um, and, and one of the things that we saw in this is that r- really what the Holy Spirit is, is it's the Spirit of Christ. Even in First John, it's, uh, the word Spirit of Christ uh, is, is that word, they translate Spirit of Christ from the word parakletos in First John. Whereas in the other times, it's talk, Jesus is talking about the promised one. And, and we know that Jesus said, I'm going to go away, but I'm not going to leave you. In other words, I'm going to be with you from now until the end of the age. Well, the way he does is that by, is by placing his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ within us. And so what happens is, is just as Jesus helped the disciples um, back when he lived amongst them, so he helps us today by walking with us. It's the same thing, just in a different way. All right. And so today... Um, I want to talk to you about watching what grows, okay? Watching what grows. And, and so um, when, when we're talking about this, we could talk about seeds, for example. Seeds that are planted grow things based upon their genetic makeup. So based upon um, the type of seed that you plant will determine what actually grows from that seed. So you don't plant you know, apple tree seed and orange trees grow, or, or, or however you want to use that illustration. When you take a seed and you plant it, it's going to grow based upon what was planted. And there's lots of discussion throughout the gospel where Jesus uses seed or farming as an analogy of the kingdom of God. Many, many different times. There's the parable of the sower. There's the faith of the mustard seed. There's sowing and reaping. And, and on and on and on, Jesus uses farming, I think in a way, one of the things that he does is he's, he's kind of using analogies that make sense to them. In other words, in areas of our life where they kind of, they're like, okay, yeah, I get that, you know, that kind of thing. You know, farming for most of us here, you know, we probably, you know, there, I don't know. Are there any farmers in here? Any farmers? Anybody? Say, I'm, I'm a farmer, all right? So nobody raised their hand. Okay, so there's no farmers in here. That's what I thought. But we understand sowing, we understand sowing seed and all that kind of stuff. Um, but Jesus was speaking to people in their day in, in a way that kind of made sense to them. And this is one of the ways that he did it, was talking about uh, sowing and, and, and seed and all this kind of stuff, right? And so we find this analogy um, that, that the Apostle Paul uses in Galatians chapter 5, all right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to read from Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read a significant um, amount of scripture here. Well, I say significant. It's about nine verses. Um, because we see um, kind of like a definition and a difference between um, 
living your life according to the flesh versus living your life according to the Spirit. So we know the Holy Spirit, His indwelling presence is in us upon salvation. We receive the Holy Spirit, and He walks with us. He is our parakletos. He, he walks with us every day, and that should have an effect on our life. And so in Galatians chapter 5, we'll start in verse 16. If you want to follow with me, you got your own Bibles. If not, um, we were kind enough to put it up here on the screen. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, all right? Walk by the Spirit. There's the Holy Spirit that lives in you. Walk by the Spirit. And you will gratify... Um, uh, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions. And if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Okay. So, there are, are two things here. Um, Paul, writing to the church in Galatia, he's trying to uh, describe to them the difference between living according to the flesh and living a life according to the Spirit. So if we're going to live a life according to the Spirit, okay, then there's going to be evidence of our life that's being lived according to the Spirit. And if we're not, then there's evidence of that as well. And so um, one of the things we, we talk about, the fruit of the Spirit, there are two groups of nine uh, that are connected to the Holy Spirit. Are you familiar with those two groups? Right? One of them is the fruit of the Spirit, okay? The other group of nine is called the gifts of the Spirit, all right? So one is connected to his indwelling presence, the fruit of the Spirit. The other is connected to his infilling power, which is, um, uh, which is the, um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all right? We have two groups of nine. We're going to talk about this first group today. But before we get to that, I want us to look over this passage when Paul says this. He says, listen, he goes in, he's trying to, to, to clearly define to us and help us to understand what it looks like uh, to live according to the Spirit. And, and by identifying both, he says, um, now the works of the flesh are evident. There, another, other translations say the works of the flesh are obvious. Um, evident, obvious. It's almost like Paul is saying right here, like, look, you know, I probably shouldn't have to say it. Because it's obvious, because it's evident, but I'm going to say it anyways. And the reason why I even bring this up is because I think in our culture today, one of the things that our culture does is it, it does a really good job of trying to make obvious things not be so obvious, right? 
So we have moments in our life where we think like, well, is that really that bad? I mean, you know, it kind of makes sense. And, you know, maybe this is something that is okay. And it's really maybe not that bad. And maybe it's only the religious fanatics that are making it out like these things are really. And so what happens is we have an amoral society that tries to murky the water when it comes to right and wrong. And one of the things that we have here is that these are the things that Paul is saying, like, listen, if you're living according to the flesh, man, it is obvious. So Paul is not saying these aren't debatable issues of morality here. These aren't things that we're like, well, I don't really know. Should we know? I don't really know if the Bible says it or not. No, Paul says these things that I'm about to list to you, these things are obvious. That if you're living according to the flesh, then you're going to be doing these kinds of things. And it is obvious that these things come from the flesh. Okay? Now, our world today would say that it's not so obvious. All right? But... Um, Paul says, and he makes um, it, it, it understood here. So let's go over a couple of these real quick. Or actually, let's go over all of these real quick. Some of them um, are, ob- are obvious when you read them in, in the English version. Um, some of them are not so obvious. Um, because you remember, uh, you know, the English translation of the Bible is a translation from the Greek. So the problem is not in the original context in which it's written, the problem oftentimes lies within the translation. It doesn't mean that there's error in the Bible. It just means that there's sometimes, maybe we don't get the full context of what's being said because we miss stuff in translation. Does that make sense? And so uh, in order to gain a full context uh, of what, what is being said, you have to look in the original. It's like salvation. When we hear the word salvation, the word salvation, we think, oh, God saved me from my sins. But the word salvation uh, in the original Greek that we translate salvation means so much more than just God saved me from my sins. It means that um, it, it, it implies, um, it, it implies um, that God did more than just saving you from your sins, that, that he purchased your, your soundness, your deliverance, um, your, your healing, um, your, your um, uh, uh, gosh, well, there's like three or four others I can't remember off the top of my head, right? All right, so you have to go and look. All of those things are encompassed within that particular word that's used in the Greek. So when, like, the Bible says, uh, I believe in the, pow- uh, in the gospel for is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That word salvation could be read, um, the gospel is the power of God for the deliverance of everyone who believes, for the, e- for the healing of everyone who believes, for the... Um, for the soundness of everyone who believes, for, um, you know, all of those different things that kind of, um, you know, join in there is it, so much more than just like God saved me from my sin. All right. So when we read through these right here, let's go through them. We'll go through them one at a time. It says, uh, now the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality. Um, this actually comes from a, the, the Greek word uh, pornia. Okay. Pornia. Okay, you find it any uh, any wonder why it's um, you know we have such a problem in our society with pornography. It's that same root word that's at the beginning of pornography is the same root word that we ha- find here in the Greek, pornia. Okay, and it literally means adultery, 
or fornication, or homosexuality, or lesbianism, or intercourse with animals. It can include um, having sex with close relatives and family members. And, and it goes on and on and on, a list of all the different avenues and variances behind sexual immorality. So it, it's not just this one exclusive thing. It includes all of those things, that Greek word there that Paul, the Apostle Paul listed as the very first one that gets shot out of the gun. The works of the flesh are obvious. Okay, let me go ahead and list them. And the first one I'm going to throw out there is sexual immorality. This thing, and it covers all of these things, this adultery, fornication, all right, adultery. Right? We're aware of what adultery is. It's being married and then having sexual relationships with somebody outside of that marriage covenant. Okay? Fornication okay? is when you're not married and you have sex with somebody that you're not married to. Okay? So it's the same thing that's happening, but just one has the marriage covenant that's tied to it and the other one does not. Okay? And then it goes through homosexuality and lesbianism, and then it goes even further, like intercourse with animals and stuff like that. And look, you say whatever you want. Like, oh my gosh, like, the Bible talks about, okay, look, we're not that far. We're not, look, we're not that far. Okay? You, you, can, you can go look right now. Um, a quick Google search, and you will find um, there, 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 there are people in our world today who are trying to, to make it legal to marry animals, okay? And, and I know that, you know, for us, that's just like, you know, that's like just crazy talk, right? <clears throat> but 60 years ago, it was crazy talk for a man to marry a man, or a woman to wear it was the same reaction that you have about so what's going to happen in another 60 years as our our country our society continues to become more and more amoral then maybe 60 years from now like i mean who says that they can't you know it's going to make them happy <clears throat> maybe they were born that way <clears throat> okay all of those kinds of things and we all right so but the bible the apostle paul here describes this as being something that is the works of the flesh are evident. They are obvious. And it doesn't just cover one aspect. It covers all of them. So those that commit adultery and fornication are just as guilty as those who try to have relations with an animal. Okay? You're just as guilty. It falls under the same word, the same works of the flesh. Okay? Then it goes on. It says impurity. Okay? This word impurity means uncleanness or impure motives, having the wrong kind of motives. The Bible says that if, you, if you're living according to the works of the flesh, then you have impure motives. It's one of the reasons why Jesus talks about the heart. He says, you, you may have heard it said, you know, not to, to hate, but I, or not to commit murder, but I tell you if you hate. Right? That the hate is the impure motive that's in the heart. And, and this right here is talking about the same thing. Impureness has to do with impure motives. Impurity has to do with impure motives. Okay? Sensuality is unbridled, unbridled lust, shamelessness, insolence. Almost like a, you know, this is who I am. And I'm just, you're going to be, in, and you're shameless in the way that you feel and think about things. All right? Idolatry. The worship of, of false gods or other gods. I think one of the things that as Christians we can be criticized oftentimes in our faith is because we're people say that we're intolerant. 
And it's not that we're, we're not tolerant of other people. It's just that we say that there is only one God. There is only one God, and there is only one way to heaven. Scripturally speaking, there is only one way to get to heaven. All right, And it's not through all the different gods. And if you take all the gods and join them together, and they all really look the same. This is the, the idea and the philosophy of the world, is this, this secular humanism. Let's just join them all together, and we're all really worshiping the same being. And we just kind of have different expressions of doing it. No, that's not the way it works. And even Paul said that one of the works of the flesh is idolatry. It's worshiping false gods, false idols. Sorcery. Sorcery. Now, sorcery is one of those weird things, right? Because there's not, there just aren't many sorcerers around today, right? I mean, you may find them like in Louisiana somewhere, you know, where they got the black magic and voodoo dolls and stuff like that, you know. But... Uh, it's not a whole lot of, you know, in, in the average person, average culture, we just don't have a whole lot of sorcery going on. But here's the thing about, it's probably um, a really bad translation of the original Greek word here. And we find it in, in most translations. But if you look at the original Greek word, it, it comes from the, the Greek word pharmakia. All right. Pharmakia. Does that sound familiar to you? All right. Pharmacy. Pharmakia pharmacy. And actually, if you look at the original wording um, that's used here, that the, the Apostle Paul, he, listen, the definition is the use or the administering of drugs. The use or the administering of drugs. Now, obviously, we're not talking about um, drugs that are used to help with illness and disease. We're talking about the illegal use of this. And, and so, in, in um, even we'll get into another aspect. It's not uh, addressing all drugs. It's talking about, and, and the reason why I say this is this, is because the reason why, uh, so you got to understand the history of why it's translated sorcery. All right. In, in their particular day, when um, a, a sorcery would use um, certain concoctions of drugs to help them have visions and see things, and it would help them connect to, um, you know, Demons really is what it is, just to, to not put it lightly, but um, it would help them connect to the spirit realm and spirit beings to be able to communicate and stuff. And so they would have these, they would have these drugs and they would get on these drugs and they would use these drugs to kind of help facilitate their sorcery and the things that they would do. And this is exactly what Paul, the Apostle Paul is talking about, is this, you know, a wrong drug use. Um, drugs back in, in their particular day weren't really used as medicine uh, a lot of times you would find like um, they would use wine oftentimes as as for medicinal purposes, um, but there were never really conversations about drugs being used for medicinal purposes like we have today all right but this is actually saying that one of the works of the flesh being evident is the listen you could just translate it their drugs, the use of drugs, wrong drugs using using the wrong kind you know people out there you know, doping up and, and using all kinds of, you know, illegal drugs and stuff like this. This is what the scripture is talking about. The, this works of the flesh are obvious. This word pharmakia, it's, it comes from the administering or the use of illegal drugs. All right. Enmity. It is a condition of hostility toward another. It's ill will or it's being an antagonist. 
having enmity towards another person. Strife is, is, is bitter, sometimes violent conflict or dissension. That's what strife is, is this bitter dissension that just we, we won't let go of this bitterness inside of our heart towards other people and this bitter dissension inside of us that causes us to want to fight people and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, jealousy is, you know, pretty obvious here. We're talking about envy. Fits of anger. It's kind of like a, a boiling up passion and anger. It's like it boils up and just burst out and then it kind of goes back to being normal and then it just burst out again and this is what paul is saying that these things are works of the flesh rivalries it's self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means in other words it doesn't necessarily have to mean like you're becoming a political figure in our society it could mean just uh, self-seeking um uh trying to gain position or power in a place by by unfair means maybe it's by talking bad about somebody else that's you know maybe you're trying to gain their position or trying to gain a position and they're competing or there's somebody that could have that as well whatever it is it's it's using uh you know wrong tactics to try to gain power position over people um Let's see here. Um, dissensions, it's kind of division and sedition. Uh, divisions, it's um, separating based on a diversity of opinions. So this, this one right here, divisions, is, is something like, can even happen inside of a church where we create divisions because this person has an opinion that the carpet should be blue. This person over here thinks it should be green. And now we've created this division in the church because we all have a different opinion. But what, what, and I know the carpet I'm using is kind of like a silly, <laughs> it's silly, but it happens. All right, it's unfortunate. But it's creating division in the church because different people have different opinions. So I have this opinion. I'm going to get all the people that have my opinion on my team. I have this opinion. I'm going to get all these. And we're going to have this little, little power struggle within the church. And, the, and Paul's saying, man, that is, that is the work of the flesh. That's the work of the flesh when we live like that, when we act like that. Um, he says, envy. A feeling of envy is a feeling of discontented or resentful longing caused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or their luck in life. A feeling of being discontented. In other words, um, Paul is saying that we're, we're not living with contentment in our life, contentment with our lot in life, contentment w- with where we are and where God has us. Then, it, you know, that, uh, that envy, that discontentment inside of us. Um, is a work of the flesh. Uh, drunkenness um, obviously is talking about you know being drunk with wine. It's not talking about drinking wine. It's just talking about being drunk with wine. And and you know the the whole wine conversation is a conversation to have maybe when we do our sermon on the gray zone because there's there can be a lot of gray when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, the Bible doesn't necessarily speak to. Um, the Bible doesn't say it is a sin to drink wine. It says it's a sin to get drunk, right? It's a, it's a work of the flesh to get drunk. My question to you is how do you know when you're drunk, all right? <clears throat> and, when you, and when you're getting close to be drunk, do you know, where's the line? So where's the line? Anyways, where's the line, okay? Where, where's the line? How, when do you know that you stepped over from, you know, casual drinking to I'm drunk, you know? And I think that's thing, something that you have to be able to figure out in your life because the Bible does speak very specifically that drunkenness uh, is, um, is something that is, is wrong. 
and is sinful and is a work of the flesh. Um, and then the word orgies that it uses here, and it's not, so let me go ahead and just clear your mind. It's not the orgies that you're thinking about. It's not the modern day uh, definition of what we would know because it kind of already covered that in the very first word, right? Um, the word orgy is actually comes from a Greek word, and it kind of, um, it's, it's a definition of something that was happening in the culture at that particular time. And it, what it was was a, it's a nocturnal or it's something that happens at night, a riotous procession of half-drunken and frolicsome fellows, people who after a super parade through the streets with torches and music in honor of Bacchus, which was a, a god that was worshipped that day, or some other deity, and, and, and sing and play before houses of male and female friends, hence uh, uses uh, generally a feast and drinking parties that are protracted till late at night and indulge in revelry. So the, the idea here is we're talking about just, um, you know, out of control parties that inc- include drunkenness and all of this kind of stuff. It's, it's really, it's the idea there that that's, that's what that is talking about. And Paul here, you know, when we, we, we talk about these things, he uses these harsh words that he discusses by this. He says these things are, these things are evident, works of the flesh. They're evident, works of the flesh. Um, and then, listen, he goes on to say the thing that people don't want to say in our culture today. He says this. He says, people participate in such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are harsh words from Paul to say that all of these things are obvious works of the flesh. And the Bible says that you will not inherit the kingdom of God living and doing such things. All right. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Have you ever noticed that at every funeral, at every funeral where somebody dies, which should happen, which should be every funeral. All right. um, Every person goes to heaven. Have you ever been to a funeral where like, well, we don't know where this one ended up. We have a feeling, but now this just doesn't happen. And I understand why, you know, right? It's like things that you never hear at a funeral. Um, uh, I understand why it happens because at a funeral, uh, it's not so much about the person who died as much as it is about comforting those that live, Right? Um, and so we're, 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 you know, hardcore into the whole comforting thing. And I, and I recognize that. Um, I, I am sensitive to that. But it's just not possible for every person that dies to go to heaven. Um, not because, it, I mean, it is possible, but it's not probable. And the reason why it's not probable is because Jesus said it wouldn't be. Jesus said, why is the path that leads to destruction and narrow is the path that leads to life. He says, wide is the path that leads to destruction and many are on it. As a matter of fact, Scripture says that the the majority of the people will follow the ways of the flesh and do their own thing. And there will be a few people, there will be a few people who will find the path of life, who will follow the Spirit and they will live according to the Spirit. Um, so it's just not possible, it's not possible, it's possible in that sense, but from the standpoint of maybe it's just more or less not really probable that every person that passes away is going to go to heaven because we just don't see that happening, 
All right? And, and then on top of that, you have, um, you know, prominent pastors in our culture today that when, when, they're, when they're asked, you know, on, on TV or some new agency, you know, hey, have you dosed such and such? You know, does that mean you're going to hell? And they're like, well, I don't, you know, I, we don't really know, you know. Of course, they won't bring up Galatians, you know, chapter 5 or, you know, 19. They're just going to say, well, you know what, I think that that's for the Lord to decide. Well, the problem is, is that it is for the Lord to decide. And when the Lord has already decided, we already know what he decided, right? So he's already made known what his decision is. And, and, and then you have, you know, guys like Rob Bell, who, I, you know, it's not my intention to speak ill will of anybody. And, and the Lord knows everybody's on a different place. But, you know, this guy comes out with a book and this, this philosophy called Love Wins several years ago, where basically it just says that in the end, the love of God wins in the end. In other words, it doesn't really matter what you do because the love of God is greater than all of your sin. It's greater than all of your failures. It's greater than all of your mistakes. It's greater than all of your bad intentions. And the truth be known is that that is true. The love of God is greater. And, and, that, and that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. It doesn't matter, you know, how far you go or what you do. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. But it doesn't change the justice of God. So God's love, if God is love, it doesn't eliminate the fact that God is just. So he can be loving at the same time, be just. And the way that he does such is by sending his son as a sacrifice for our sin to give us a way out of our sin Okay, so that we don't have to experience his justice. So, and it's a free way. It is a free way out. Okay, it's a free, you don't even have to pay for it. It's been paid for. So the love of God is the son who came to pay the price that we should have to pay. Okay, so that we can get what we don't deserve. Because we deserve punishment for our sin. And so when we reject that way, when we reject that offering, when we reject that sacrifice in the love of God, we reject his love and therefore expose ourselves to his justice. And his justice demands a price to be paid for sin. Right? So it is true that love wins, but it does not exclude your responsibility in the process. Right? So, how do we reconcile what Paul was saying right here in this passage? And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, it says this. Uh, Jesus was talking to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, verses 16 and 17. It says, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes or from, th- uh, or from um, thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. Right? Um, You will know them by their fruit. And he's talking about this particular time. He's talking about false prophets and and, um, wolves in sheep's clothing and stuff. But the truth be known is that, um, you know, when somebody says, don't judge me or you're judging me, understand something that... um, they're trying to use an expression that that also is used in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus was telling us that we need to look inwardly at our own problems before we start looking outwardly at other people's problems. So instead of looking at the speck in somebody else's eye, why don't we look at the plank that exists within our own? 
In other words, our first responsibility is to look inwardly before we start looking outwardly. But don't, don't, um, don't think for a moment that that doesn't mean that you can't look outward and you can't tell by the way people live whether or not they love God or not. Because actually, Jesus even goes on to say it right here. He says, you can tell by their fruit. You can look at their life and tell by the fruit that they display whether or not they are somebody that live according to the Spirit or not, okay? So Jesus says you can look at the fruit. And this is where I talked about watch what grows, okay? The seed that you plant will be the thing that grows in your life. So if you're planting the right kind of seed, it will produce the right kind of fruit. If you're planting the wrong kind of seed, it will produce the wrong kind of fruit. And the Bible says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, okay? In other words, the fruit is the result of what's being planted inside. In other words, so if we are living according to the Spirit, if we are living in step with the Spirit, if we recognize that He is our parakletos and He is walking side by side with us everywhere we go, then what happened is, is we are in essence planting seed that will produce fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit, He goes on to say, this is what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's nine of them. These things will be happening in your life as a result of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit inside of you. If the Holy Spirit lives and exists in you, it's going to produce fruit. And this is what it's going to look like. It's going to look like love. The very first, As a matter of fact, all the others... Okay, are almost pointless without love. Love is the very, just like the last time where, you know, sexual immorality was like, let me just go ahead and throw it out there and get it out there. Okay, he says, love, agape love. God's love, God's, you know, his brotherly kindness, charity, all of these things are filled within that agape love that, that what, the very first fruit of the Spirit is that we will walk in love towards one another and we will walk in love one of the fruits in your life that you will have walking according to the spirit is that you walk in love the second is joy true joy this is not momentary happiness that the world gives because you maybe rode a roller coaster or, or you know whatever you got a raise or something like this we're talking about lasting joy Joy that exists inside of you regardless of your circumstances, all right? And this is one of the things that should set us apart as believers, that regardless of what kind of trial we're facing, regardless of what kind of difficulty that we may be going through in our life, okay, one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit being alive in our life and in our heart is that we will live with joy. Joy. Peace. It's a tranquil state of the soul, assured of salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatever sort that is. It's a tranquil state in your life where you are assured of your salvation, so you fear nothing from God, and you are content with your earthly lot in life Whatever that is, wherever you're at, peace. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit in our life is that he produces peace within us. 
that we have peace. Kindness. Kindness actually is a word that really can maybe more accurately be translated integrity. Um, integrity. Um, and integrity is who you are when no one is watching. Who you are when no one is watching. This, this idea of integrity in our life. One of the things the Holy Spirit will do in us is he will produce integrity in us. And it creates inside of us that we are consistent regardless of who we are in front of and who, what we're doing or where we're going or what's going on. You have goodness. It's uprightness of heart and life. Faithfulness, the character of one who can be relied on. Gentleness, mildness of disposition, almost like a meekness. Okay, So being faithful, being faithful is something that the Holy Spirit does inside of us that we can be relied upon. That when somebody needs our help, somebody in the family needs us to do something, we can be relied upon. When the church has asked us to help us with a ministry, we can be relied upon. That having faithfulness inside of our life is something that the Holy Spirit produces in us. Rob or, or, or Michael, whoever's going to come, y'all come. Gentleness. A mildness and disposition, kind of meekness, that the Holy Spirit will make us meek and gentle and mild in our life. And self-control is the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. All right. So self-control, one of the things that happens when the Holy Spirit works within us is that we have the ability to control ourselves and that we master the things in our life that we're dealing with, that we master our sensual appetites, that we master the ability to control so that if we decide that, you know, hey, I'm going to fast, that we can have self-control to stick through with that fast. If we say, I'm going to do this, that we have self-control. If we say, I'm going to you know, be in a covenant marriage relationship, that I'm going to have self-control not to do things that would break apart. Okay, whatever it is, we have we can control ourselves, and we're not we're not moved around by every whim and emotion that we have in our life. Where we just say, you know, you ever heard the, the devil made me do it? <clears throat> okay, when you have self-control, it's not the devil making you do something because you got self-control. Okay, all right, you are in control. Of yourself. This is like what Paul says. He says, uh, he says, I beat my body into submission to make it do what it's supposed to do. I make myself do what I'm supposed to do. You know what? I'm not going to feel like praying all the time. I'm not going to feel like reading the Bible all the time. I'm not going to feel like loving all the time. I'm not going to feel like having joy all the time. I'm not going to feel like being kind all the time. I'm not going to feel like doing all of these things. It's, it doesn't matter what you feel. Okay, is that I can control the way that I live, the way that I act, and the things that I do. I can control it. I'm in control. And we have self-control. And the result of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, it will produce fruit. Okay, that fruit, that word fruit in the original Greek, it actually means like to have an an effect. It's almost like you could read the, um, um, the effect of the Spirit. The effect of the Spirit, the effect that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit has upon you as, as, as a part of your life, as the paracletos of your life, the, the effect that the Holy Spirit has upon you is that it will produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It'll produce those things in your life. It'll cause you to want to be just like that, right? And understand something about this 
talk about fruit. Does an apple tree have to think, nah, I gotta produce apples today? Or an orange tree think, ah, I don't really wanna make oranges today. I wanna, I wanna make some pineapples. I wanna, I wanna make some grapefruit. I wanna, I'm tired of these oranges. No, um, you see, fruit produce, produ- is produced by the seed, so it's all about the source, right? Jesus says that I am the vine and you are the branches. So if you want to, you have to be connected to the vine, right? And remember, Jesus is now with us through the Holy Spirit. So he helps us today the same way he helped his disciples then. He just does it now through the Holy Spirit. So we have to be connected to the Holy Spirit in our life. We've got to be connected to the Holy Spirit in our life. Because that's the vine. That's where we, we, that's the source. And when we're connected to the Holy Spirit, then it begins to produce inside of us, okay? It begins to produce in our life the, the effect of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then it just begins to come out of you. Yeah, there may be times where you have to be like, you know, where I, you just have to do it. The more you do it, the more you feel like doing it. But he produces in a sight of us. So when we go and we recognize and we recognize the Holy Spirit alive and Holy Spirit, you know, take over me today, control my life. I invite you to my life to, to control me, to have your way, to control the way that I think, the way that I talk, the way that I interact with people. You know, be my paracletos today. Be called to my side to walk with me and everything I do. Then all of a sudden you have a heightened awareness that, that you have a helper, an advocate that's walking with you with you and he's going to help you so when somebody cuts you off in traffic and you believe Jesus loves you you know the Holy Spirit's there to help you out he's there to produce the right kind of fruit in you to remind you that, that there is a standard of living that is expected by those who walk according to the spirit and understand something. It's, it's not, there's not a middle ground here. You're either walking according to the Spirit or you're walking according to the flesh. So you can't be in here and be like, well, I like Jesus. I just don't know if I like this whole walking according to the Spirit thing. You know, maybe I just don't need all these fruits. Let me just come to church and worship God and we won't worry about all this kind of stuff. Understand, look, that you are, okay, you are a wolf in sheep's clothing. You are pretending to be somebody that you're not. Because you are either walking according to the Spirit or you are walking according to the flesh. Now, if you are a Christian, you're supposed to be walking according to the Spirit because the Holy Spirit resides in you. He lives in you. And you are supposed to be hearing His voice, following His lead, doing what He tells you to do, walking according to the Spirit. Because if you are a son of God, You're supposed to be being led by the Spirit of God. And then, guess what happens? Listen, here's here's where it goes. When you are led by the Spirit of God, you don't have to worry about the law. Right? You don't have to worry about all of these things that the Bible says, if you do these things, you... Because the Spirit will will not lead you into envy or drunkenness or revelries or sexual immorality. The Spirit won't lead you into those things. All right, you won't have to. That's the reason why it says, "Those who walk according to the Spirit, there is no law," because the Spirit will lead you like Jesus is leading you. He's not going to lead you astray. He's not going to lead you to um, to defy 
the law, what is written in the law that actually hurts us. He's going to guide us in the life of purity and uprightness. Uprightness. Let me stand to your feet this morning.